Welcome to Optimal Self, the art of becoming the best version of you. Join us as we talk with extraordinary people who are on the journey to living to their optimal self. We dive deep into their minds to learn what they do on a daily basis to create optimal results. They share their tools and insights so you can implement them into your own life to become the best version of you. Here's your host, Jeremy Herriter. We are live. All right, guys, welcome to the Optimal Self Podcast. This is the version that we call Optimal Self Conversations, where we talk to incredible people who through adversity, grit, and persistence are forging the path to being the best version of themselves. They do so and give you the tools to do the same for you. Today, I am extremely honored to sit back and have an incredible conversation. I met this gentleman in Costa Rica in a mastermind. I got to say it was love at first sight or first word, however you want to say it, man. We, we hit it off and spent a week together traveling around Costa Rica, sitting in mastermind groups. And so I'm just honored to have a man and he has a podcast. So I want to put it up today. We're featuring Joseph James purpose through pain, man. Joe, thanks for being here, brother. Jeremy, thank you so much for having me, man. It is truly an honor. I'm pumped. I think I'm pumped as much as you are. There's a lot of energy going through this. I am truly honored and blessed to be able to be here on your, on your show. Thank you, sir. So let's just get to it, man. And I want people to get to know you, you know, because I had that opportunity. And so it's better for you to say it. I know, you know, you started in the Marine Corps six years, Homeland Security, executive security, the firearms business, right? Teaching and coaching that that led you to this incredible, successful dog training business where you're working with some of the, some New Orleans saints and the owners of teams and they bring their dogs, fly them into you because you're the man. So tell us where you got started. Tell us what led you there and uh, let the people get to know you a little bit. Absolutely, Jeremy. I'm just an everyday, every, everyday Joe. I don't consider myself anybody that's special, but I have definitely gone through some things in my life. My dad was a 20-year Marine Corps veteran. And he was a disciplinarian. And when I mean disciplinarian, this was back in the day that you can smack your child and spank the living fire out of them in the middle of a grocery store or in church for all, for all that matter. And nobody even blinked an eye. That was common. I grew up in the midst of that. I had older sister, older brother, and then a younger sister. And my dad was very abusive to my mom. He was very abusive to us. You know, he started off with spankings. There was no timeout for us. When you start off at that level, where do you go from there? You can only increase, right? And so mm-hmm. the spankings became beatings. I mean, it didn't matter. It was a belt. It was a board. It was getting grabbed up by the hair. It was whatever. And the reason why I'm going back to this, Jeremy, is because I want to paint a picture for you guys on the trauma that I dealt with as a kid to the point of still having to deal with that as an adult because I wasn't healed of it and how the rejection from my father not being involved in sports or for him, his involvement was that's not good enough. You could do better playing baseball, playing whatever sport I played football and grades. A minus was not good enough. It became a mentality to me that no matter what I did, Jeremy, nothing was ever good enough in the eyes of my father. I loved sports. I mean, when you and I talk about sports, talking about living it, eating it, breathing it, vomiting it, I mean, you know, it, it comes out all ends, brother. 
that's how I was with sports. And I, I figured out one day that I connected with my dad pretty much one way. And that was wrestling. We could rough play. And that was the play to my dad. That was the only time we really got to play. If he went outside and took us outside to play baseball, it became work. And it wasn't enjoyable. You want to get good at throwing, son? Put the tire up and throw it until you're tired, until I'm tired of watching you kind of thing. It became work for me. It was not fun. But what began to be fun for me is my dad was a diehard North Carolina Tar Heel fan, born and raised in North Carolina. I remember as a very young kid watching Michael Jordan. I was very, very young. I was five, six years old. But Carolina Blue ran in our blood. I was a diehard Redskins fan, and I was a diehard Atlanta Braves fan. That was the three sports that I was able to watch on our TV. And I began to study sports like I was going to law school for it. Like I was going to be put on ESPN for it and have some sort of trivia questionnaire. And I was going to be the guy that needed to answer those questions. That's how I lived sports. And I was able to connect my dad like that. For a while, it worked. I was able to stay up and watch the basketball games, or I was the one answering the trivia questions on it when, when they would pop up during part of the game and stuff like that. I was that kid until that day came. And that was the day when my dad made the comment. He says, if you would study school and apply yourself in school like you did sports, you'd be a straight A student. And man, all that rejection just came back up. And I felt that disconnect. I felt the one time in my life that I could not only connect with my dad, but I wasn't having to seek approval from my dad because I was always looking for his love. I was always looking for that confirmation from him. So I was, oh, dad, what do you think about this? Oh, dad, this, 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 this. So for me, I became a bookworm when it came to sports. So now I wasn't having to seek the approval of my dad. My dad would come to me for questions. Mm. Well, my dad's like, oh, my son, man, he's man, he he could tell you everybody's this, 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 and this. I became proud. I really did because it's like now my dad is bragging on his son. Fast forward years, I graduated high school, lowest of low of my class. You know, I just didn't care. And I joined the Marine Corps. My dad was in the Marine. So I just like, well, I'm gonna be the best. So I've got to join the best. You know, my dad's comments to me were is, I don't know why you're doing it, you're gonna quit. Because I learned that because of everything that I did was based off of the approval of my dad. And the moment he disapproved of something, I quit it. And so what was that raising me to be? Because the moment I start something and get a little bit of resistance, or maybe not even resistance from the actual thing I'm doing, but just not people's approval. Man, that's a great job, man. Keep doing that, man. I'm so proud of you. I quit. And I would find a new project because when we, especially in today's age, when we're on social media and we start sharing, man, I'm going to launch a podcast. And I remember doing this two straight years in a row. I said, I'm going to launch a podcast. I got three, 400 likes, a couple of worst weeks of, man, that's going to be so awesome. I can't wait to hear. And as soon as it died off, guess what else died off? My desire to do it. And that was at the age of 40 and 41, Jeremy. I joined the Marine Corps and finally I'm getting to a point in my life. It's like, I don't need my dad's approval anymore, but yet. I still went to him for things. This rejection that I had stemmed over to so many things in my life. It stemmed into girlfriends. I didn't date in high school because I was so afraid of the rejection. Because the moment I'd go to ask or flirt with a girl and she said no, it all reminded me of my dad and the rejection of how it started with him. I'm now 19, 20 years old. I'm in the Marine Corps. What, what do young single guys do? 
They go to clubs, right? They try to hook up. I, I wouldn't do it because I was so. I, if I went, I would say I'm the designated driver, okay, just to go along so I can supposedly have fun, but yet knowing good and well, I'm going to be miserable the whole entire time. I looked like I was having fun. I wasn't because I'm like, what is everybody else doing? Oh, man, see that girl over there, man? Why don't you go ask her? Oh, no, 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 no. That's not. I, I would find myself backed up into a corner, so to say, of I can't go ask her because what's the thought that's going to come into her head? Oh, she just wants to get with me or he wants to get with me, wants to get my phone number, get my, you know, that wasn't me. I, I wanted to have a conversation. I wanted just to have the feeling of somebody liking me, mm. you know, because I dealt with so much rejection. And so I, I had found that the Marine Corps was my, that was my bread and butter. That's where I can study and I can excel and it was working for me. I didn't have to worry about anybody because it was really just a competition against myself. I didn't have to worry about, not that I didn't have to worry about my dad then, but for like one moment in, 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 in life now, I see that my dad is like really taking, like my, my son's a Marine, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And it wasn't this, well, you're not smart enough. It's almost like my dad, we connected so much on that level. He was now teaching me. Son, this is what I used to do with my uniform. This is what I used to do with my boots. You know, son, if you want to be the best Marine, this is what you got to do. You know, it wasn't, well, you're going to quit anymore because I had already made it past boot camp. I was a United States Marine. So the rejection slowly started to end. Well, I spend four years in the Marine Corps. I get out. I do go do some other jobs. And then I end up meeting my wife. And I actually met her through her brother, okay, that went to my church at the time. And that was perfect for me because we had the mutualness of somebody introducing without the stereotypical, oh man, she's pretty. I'm going to go up to her and be like, oh no, she's going to say something. It's going to reject me. And I'm going to, you know, so it kind of bypassed rejection, right? I want to give the, the listener some context because I think there's a lot of people listening today or that will stumble upon this that have those same kind of feelings as, as a child in different ways, right? And you made reference that it, it still plays a part into your 40s. But let's be very clear. It's what makes us who we are, right? Is, yes. And again, it's not great, but there are some lessons in there. And so one of the things you said that really struck me was the seeking of approval. Today, that happens so much in people's lives, right? Whether it be our parents in your case, or whether it be a teacher or a coach or aunt, uncle, I mean, brother, sister, whatever, it could be, it could be anybody, right? Is that we seek approval. And then when we don't get it, it deters us. So what I want the listener to get because I want to make sure they get actionable items from us in our conversation. Because it's so your your story is so incredibly powerful to where you are today. But I want people to hear is that at some point you have to understand approval. If we can remove that word and we can insert opinion, yeah, it changes our perception, right? How do we reframe that? And we all have it. We all we all have that person or persons that we do seek it. But instead of saying, I want their approval, if I asked you, hey, Joe, you want their opinion, well, that changes how I see it, right? It's like, maybe I don't care about the opinion as much exactly. as them really, truly approving me. During that time, what did that do to your identity? 
you were attached to somebody's approval, in this case, your father. But what did that do to your identity before we lead into meeting your wife and all that? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it ultimately shaped my identity. Not only did I look to seek the approval of my father, I began to seek it in everything that I was doing. I excelled at the Marine Corps because it gave me other people's approval of, man, he's a stellar Marine. And so it was that pat on the back. So even though I wasn't going to ask for people for their approval, but everybody likes accolades, right? Everybody likes the good pat on the back. Everybody likes the good job. I mean, if you break down society and the billions of people that are in this world, there are a few people out there that actually have succeeded at life without the pat on the back. I mean, it's very few and far between, you know, that people can sit there and say, you know what? Not only do I not need the approval or care about the other people's opinion, but can actually move forward in life without any of that. That shaped my identity where I was always in that state of needing no matter what I did. If I was going to get out of the Marine Corps, I needed the approval. If I was going to try to talk to somebody, I needed the approval. It lowered my self-esteem to the point that I didn't feel like I could make decisions by myself. Then I became insecure as a man, as a young man. I didn't feel like I was good looking. I associated everything with my rejection. The girl is rejecting me because I'm not good looking. When ultimately what I've learned in life is it really had nothing to do with me. Because you, you look at it now, Jeremy, it's like this right here. Okay. You know, you're in real estate and you come to me. It's like, man, I, I, I really want you to do this or do this. I'm like, Sorry, dude. I just not for me, you know, or no, let's just say I say no. And you're like, well, dude, why in the world would you not want to buy my properties? Why, why would you, why can I say, why can I represent you, Joseph? But for me, and, and here's, here's, here's a great point about rejection. This is how bad it intertwined into my life. I went into MLM, the multi-level marketing, but what did I not like? What do you deal with so much in MLM? Rejection. Rejection. The word no. I would have been horrible at a door-to-door salesman or any type of religious-based organization that has to go door-to-door knocking. Okay. I would have been bad because I'm like, nope, they said no. I'm done. See ya. (laughs) You know, I'd rather go fuss at the grass, you know? (laughs) But that's how much it shaped my identity that everything that I saw, I avoided a lot of things because I was scared to death of rejection. Mm. Right when I was getting out of the Marine Corps the second time in 2003, I wanted to buy into a gym franchise and I loved it. I had started lifting. That was kind of like one thing I'm like, I can do by myself. And I knew that as long as I was lifting, I was growing, right? So there was no decrease as long as I lifted. And so what did I get from people? Man, you're looking good, dude. You're putting on some muscle, which was what? Approval. It was building my new identity. And so I wanted to buy into a gym franchise. Long story short, I had an investor that backed out on me and I had a friend to say to me, he said, Joseph, why don't you, this is 2003 now, okay? You barely had Gold's Gym that was opening up and then you would have some mom and pop places, things like that. And that was about it. Mm. He said to me, he says, Joseph, he says, why don't you start a 24 hour access turnkey gym? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, like, you know, people have their own key and they can get into it 24 hours a day. And because of the rejection, because of, I was so afraid of, dealing with going to a bank and saying, them saying no, dealing with, I just had my investor back out on me. And that was rejection. I looked at him and says, nope, insurance will never approve that kind of stuff. 
Mm. What do you have today? There's not a gym open across America that's not 24 hours. I missed my billion dollar, my, my chance to become a billionaire. That rejection shaped my identity, which formed in me a limiting belief system. Okay, that I love it, man. I love it. every aspect because I this is America. I mean, this is the world. This is what so many deal with. It's why I was so excited to have this conversation with you because what we know with this, right? In in the art of becoming the best version of you is that first is we have to have awareness of what is holding us back. Yes. And, and now your awareness to what my identity is tied to, why I feel the way I feel. Why do I feel? Because even sometimes it's not even direct rejection. My internal narrative is already going, oh, they're just going to reject me. Oh, this isn't going to work. So I, ha- I don't even take the step. And yes. so, so many in this world are paralyzed by just taking the step and they don't realize why. Yes. You are finally now realizing what was holding you back. What was stopping you from taking that step? Because I don't want the rejection. I'm fearing the rejection. But the truth is you didn't know it at the time, right? right. It's Now you can articulate it in a way that's why optimal self-conversations are, are built is because you are realizing it. You are now on that journey. But the realization, it doesn't matter when it comes. That's what I want people to understand. Yeah. You know, people want, people want to be, you know, we see all these 18-year-old kids on Instagram with Lamborghinis and telling you how to, you know, how to make a million dollars on a social media platform, which is not true, right? It's like, but then that's the concept that we get where that's not going to happen for most people. Not that there aren't people out there that do it, but it doesn't matter what season of life you find this in. It's just a matter of, building up conversations around that people can listen to that go, oh, wow, is that me? Is there a way out of this? Is there a way to reframe this in my mind, right? Absolutely. And Jeremy, you know, for the listeners out there that are at this point in the show is if I can give you an actionable step right now is what's the worst that can happen? (laughs) Okay. We're going to get rejected no matter what in some area of our life, whether it's a relationship with our parents, whether it's a sibling. Okay, whether it's a new love, a business relationship, whatever it may be, going to the bank and applying for a loan, you're going to get rejected. And that's not the issue for most people. It's the fear of the constant rejection over and over and over. And it number one, not knowing where the stem or the root is. Okay. Number two is the fear of not taking that step, like you just said, to prevent more rejection. The thing is, is we can't prevent it. We can't. It's inevitable. You're going to deal with the rejection no matter what in your life. Somebody's going to tell you no. Get used to it. But here's the action step is number one is what's the worst that can happen? Okay. No, right? You don't get it. And this is coming from our friend Xander that was out there in Costa Rica with us. Okay. Mm-hmm. He said the worst thing can happen is they say no. The other part is they're not going to come up to you asking you to do what you wanting to do. No girl was going to come up to me and like, Hey, do you want to go out? What are girls at the clubs for? For men to approach them. The bank does not sit around asking me, do I want to go buy a house? I go to them asking, can I buy a house? I encourage the listeners that are, that are at this point in the show is don't worry about the rejection, create an actionable step 
to find out the root and how to get past the root of it. Be here. And a lot of it is just simply self-forgiveness. That's so great, man. I, I mean, or you're standing at that step or you're sitting in your, whatever it is, you're, you know, going in for that job interview, you're going in for, you know, like you said, the, the young whippersnapper that, that sees the cute girl across the room or any of these things, man, like take that deep breath. One of our principles at Optimal Self is breathe. And we talk a lot about how you can change your state with breathe. So I love what you just gave the listener is take that breath. Get it all, that diaphragmatic breathing, man. Just get it deep in there. Feel that, feel your blood in, in every cell oxygenate. And then simply ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen? And man, if that isn't power to just take that step, man, whatever it is. Yeah, man. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff, Joe. That's, I mean, that's wonderful. Jeremy, it goes back to your story about, you know, when your mom asked you, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do about getting what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about getting the rejection? Yeah. This is what changed my mind about rejection. This was mm. the one powerful thing right here. And a lot of this had to do with self-forgiveness, right? Because I had years of it. I had to realize that it wasn't my issue that was going on in terms of why I was being rejected. It was them. When I got rejected for the first time from a girl, it wasn't that I was ugly or not good looking or it's just simply she wasn't ready for me at that time in her life. She's at a different season, right? Different season. And yeah. when you understand that right there, when you can understand that, why did my dad reject me so much? That's all he knew how to do mm-hmm. because that was his dad pushing him to do what? Be a right. better person. My dad, ultimately, he wasn't calling me stupid. He wasn't saying I was dumb because I made an A minus versus an A plus. But that was his way of understanding, son, I want you to do a little bit better. I know it's in you. I know it's deep in you, man. You're, you're my kid. I know it's in you. But as a kid, I didn't see that. And when you can take a step back, when you've dealt with rejection, saying, you know what? Why is it that they were rejecting me? Let me put myself in their shoes. Hmm. When I did that, when I asked my dad the question one day, dad, I, when I said, I forgive you. I forgive you for the beatings, for treating mom the way you did, for treating us. Mm. And he looked at me and says, son, he says, I didn't know I was doing anything wrong. Oh, how can you not know that that's wrong? How could you not know that? But that's how he was raised. Jeremy, you and I were raised that the moment the sun came up, we were outside. (laughs) And when the streetlights came on, we kind of pushed the limit a little bit, but we were supposed to be inside. We, that's why we lived, eat, breathe, did everything when it came to a sport because we had to be outside. That's what we lived. People that grow up farming, that's all they know. That's what got me to the point of like, you know what? When I understood why I was being rejected, the healing process started for me. That's so beautiful, man. And, you know, understanding you you stepping into forgiveness because you were the one holding the resentment or the, or the pain. And he didn't even know he was doing any wrong. Yeah. He thought that that's the way you raise kids. Yeah. It wasn't like he thought about it. Right. It was, I mean, I think this goes for all of us that are parents, man, we hope we're doing it right. You know? And, and I, it sounds to me like he hoped he was doing it right. He didn't know any different. And yet, the pain that we eventually, you know, that, that we're feeling as children, you know, again, we can break the cycle, but 
I want people to hear what you said because I think it's important. And I've I've spoke on this several times. Is we have to understand the capacity of the humans again that are rejecting us or what they're giving us. When you understand that, that's as good as they get. We're trying to expect something different, right? When I had children, when when Tay was born, man, my my firstborn, your heart just changes forever. 100%. And you know what it did, Joe, is it made me more mad at, at my birth father because yeah. I was like, whoa, how could you not want to be part of this? Right. How could you not want to see that? Even those nights when she was crying and colicky and you, you know, you're dead tired and you got to get up tomorrow and all those things, man. I just thought, you know, but then once I realized that that's all he had, man. That was his capacity. And I was trying to project my capacity on him. It's same forgiveness, right? It's like, it's okay. He's not me. <laughs> and that's not fair to put him in that position. He is who he is. That's the best that he can be because he's not seeking out growth. He's not seeking out. He wasn't reading books and trying to be better. No. He just was who he was. It's on me to realize and understand, and then to just love him for who he is. Just like, okay, like it's, it's okay. We can get into this comparison game, right? Which can be really bad. And so you can compare as a dad, right? Let's just make this very clear. You and I are both dads. You can look behind you and look, if I look at him and I compare myself to him, I'm like, shit, I'm the greatest dad in the history of dads. Like, like, woo, like I'm through the roof, man. Like I didn't miss a, I didn't miss a donuts with dad day. I didn't miss, you know, an event. I didn't miss like whatever. Right. But if I look over here and I see what some of these other guys are doing, there's a, there's a whole thing called front row dads. And there's these dudes that are just unreal. Then I feel like the biggest slacker on earth. I'm like, yeah. holy shit. I get so, but the truth is, is that we just are who we are. And if we're always in a constant form of growth and we seek those out, we seek out people and we like to live, like, oh man, okay, I can do that a little bit better. Okay. But, but worst thing is when we're holding on to resentment, we're putting ourselves in a prison and the worst prison in the world, Joseph, is the one you don't know you're in. And for us, I was in that prison. I put myself there, didn't know I was there because I was hating him, resenting him and he doesn't even know it. That, Jeremy, is when we're in that prison, we don't realize the weight that we're carrying, you know, oh, the ball and shackle, so to say, because we get used to the weight, right? It's like lifting weights. First time you ever curl 10 pounds, it's like, man, that's super heavy, you know? But then you hold that weight long enough and it doesn't care. It doesn't feel like 10 pounds anymore because your body's gotten used to it. Your body's gotten used to carrying the backpack or whatever the case may be. And this kind of goes into like the next part of it is even when I was married for almost 14 years, I still had unresolved rejection issues and I didn't know it. Because you were holding that resentment backpack or those rejection backpack, but you've been holding it so long, you don't even know you realize you're holding it anymore. And, I, and, wow, and the thing well is, said. I was not actively being rejected, but yet I was carrying that feeling of rejection the whole entire time. And I had no idea had no idea that it was still there. Let's transition into that because it's a perfect transition, you know, talking about you being married because really what shapes you as a man is these next 
14 years. <laughs> so, but let's give the context to the listeners so that they understand. So you meet your wife and you guys get married. Yeah. So I met my wife in 2000 or 2003. We were married in 2005. And shortly after we married, my mom passed away. Okay. Mm. And she was 59 years old. At that time, I had a relationship with my dad, but it was not a good one. Okay. You know, it started kind of getting better because of my time in the Marine Corps, but I just didn't have that it, it, it was there, but it wasn't there. You know, it, it's like it exist. There was something that existed, but the feelings, the love that I wanted as a kid, it wasn't there. He was my dad because he was my dad. When my mom died, my two sisters, my brother, we were all like, "Man, I wish it was dad that died." We mm. loved our mom. Man, we loved our mom. We did. You know, now mom was still a disciplinarian. She's still a tough person. She, she wasn't a walkover. She'd slap you faster than anybody in the middle of anywhere. Okay. But we had a great relationship with mom because mom did everything for us. Mom helped us with sports. Mom helped us with, you know, with schoolwork. She helped us with, I mean, it didn't matter. Mom was there. But I remember it was about two or three weeks after, it might've been a little bit longer after my mom passed. We're all at the grave site. And my dad pulls us aside, my two sisters and brother. He said, I just want to ask you guys for your forgiveness. And I'm sorry that I treated you guys the way I did and your mom the way I did. I'm sorry. And it's like at that moment, it's just like something began to shift in the atmosphere. Mm. Over the next 14 years of our life, I just developed a very strong relationship with my dad. I moved to Louisiana. I'm, I'm you know, married. I ended up having two kids at the time. I started a business. I started my own, you know, firearms business. And I'm my dad's bragging about me now. It's like that rekindled relationship. The rejection was not surfaced because I had suppressed it so much. And I wasn't really, I would still call my dad up and ask him things, but I wasn't like seeking my dad's approval anymore. And so I'm, I'm married. I'm in a happy marriage, two kids, start the, the firearms business. And that ultimately failed because I didn't know how to run a business. I, I, I didn't. I, I was just like, man, I love to shoot and people want me to teach. And I, okay, all right. I guess how you do it. Then I stumbled. And this is 2015 now. I stumbled upon dog training. I stumbled upon it. Okay. Worked for another company for about eight months. And that was about seven and a half months too long. But in the midst of that, I really dug deep into the aspect of learning how to grow a business. I transitioned out of that business and started my own. And the, way, the reason why I started is I had the support of my wife. And I had the support of another friend that says, Joseph, you know how to train dogs? And I'll, I'll help you. I'll help you do the business. And I'm like, okay, I don't think you know what you're about to get yourself into, but okay. <laughs> Things begin to shift in my relationship with my family. Now, from roughly about 2007 timeframe, I had taken on a job doing executive security and I was consumed by the phone, absolutely consumed by it. Okay. And I allowed that to transition into now is the new business. And what I was ultimately doing is I was rejecting my wife. I was rejecting my kids. And even though I didn't feel it at the time, I was making my priority the business. I was making my priority everything that was going on in my life. And here's why, Jeremy. One thing that I was raised to do from my dad is I was raised to be a provider. And I thought that providing for my family was the right thing and the only thing that I needed to be concerned about. Right. 
not the relationship. Oh, we're married, right? We're, we're in this together, death to us part. And we both grew up in church. We'd both been involved in ministry. And we just knew that divorce is not an option. We just, that's what we kind of came into the marriage world. So it didn't matter how good, bad, or ugly that it had got or became, we were married. And so I really de- began to devote time to this business. My wife had came up with a goal. She was great at cooking. She was great at baking. We bought a house that had an 18-foot kitchen countertop, super, super long. So she can transition out of being a teacher into cooking, baking cakes, okay? (laughs) I started gaining weight too. All right, (laughs) cakes were really good. And I just like, okay, if we're going to do this, if you're going to be a stay-at-home mom and, and grow this business, I've got to replace that salary. And so I just dug deep, man. I only knew how to do one thing, and that was work. Work, 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 work. Get my head buried into my computer. When, when I wasn't training dogs throughout the day, man, I was all over social media learning how social media worked, okay? I paid a price for it. I paid a huge price for it. In late of 2017, I convinced my wife to let's have a third child, Okay. And she became pregnant. And this is where things really radically begin to change for us. Throughout her pregnancy, she had some complications and it wasn't with the baby, it was with her own health. And to fast forward a little bit, at the end of December of 2017, just about eight weeks prior to our son being being born or his due date, doctors found a mass on my wife's liver. This now became a new reality for us, not knowing what this is. Well, doctors brought our son two weeks later, so he was six weeks preemie. And then about six weeks after that, my wife went into surgery to figure out what this mass was. They didn't think it was anything bad. They thought it was just a massive collection of blood called a hemangioma, and it was no concern to us, okay? And I remember, Jeremy, I remember taking her to the hospital that morning. I remember the doctor telling me, Hey, Joseph, just, hey, listen, this is going to be a four or five hour surgery. Go home, go to work, do what you need to do. I'll call you. Like anything else, they prepped her up, got her ready, you know, walked her down that lone isolated hallway or rolled her down the, uh, that lonely isolated hallway to the, to the uh, OR. And I kissed her goodbye. And they rolled her into that freezing cold room and they started doing surgery. And it was about three hours later that I got the call, the call that still rattles me to this day. The doctor told me, he said, Joseph, the surgery went okay. Now, I knew right then and there, just because of my educational background, I'd spent times in sports medicine and, and, and around doctors. That was not a good sign. That was not a good okay. Okay. And I, I said, what do you mean okay? And he broke the news. He broke the news to us. And it hit me hard. It it hit me like a ton of bricks. I just I remember standing there in my kitchen. He's like, Joseph, your wife has stage four colon cancer. This was at the age of 36. Let me tell you something, Jeremy, that a lot of people don't know. We we talk about the law of attraction, right? We can attract things to us, okay? Good and bad. Our words have power. We can speak life or we can speak death over people. Okay. Your mom, your your coach that said you're not good enough. And that was death right there. That was words of death right there, okay? My dad speaking all those things over me. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. That's not speaking life into somebody. My wife's life was based off of the sole factor that she lost her mom three months after she was born. 
when my wife was born, the day she was born, they, the doctors found stage four ovarian cancer in her mom. Mm. Okay. She, she lived three more months and died. All right. So now you have abandonment, spirit of abandonment. It wasn't, my, it wasn't her mom's fault that she died. But then all of a sudden, you want to talk about rejection? Her own father said, basically, he's like, I can't take care of you and gave her up to her aunt and uncle. And so she was riddled with this fear, the attraction of this fear her whole entire life that at the age of 36, her mom died of stage four ovarian cancer right after giving birth to her. And now all of a sudden at the same exact age, after giving birth to her third child, she's diagnosed now with the same death sentence. And Jeremy, I man, I was, I was, dude, I was, I was lost. I had no idea what to do. When the doctor told me, and the amount of damage, the, the amount of tumors that were in her body, they took out over eighty percent of her liver. Mm. A healthy individual can live with about seventy-five percent removal. Now her body's riddled with cancer, so it's very sick, and they took out over eighty. And they told me, it's like, Joseph, we don't know if she'll live over the next 48 hours. And so I couldn't tell her. I could not sit there and walk into her room and say, babe, by the way, here's your death sentence has been served to you that you've been fearing your whole entire life. I couldn't. But I had to break the news to the family. I had to break the news to my family, to her friends, to coworkers, to staff, to people. And then I had to, over the next three days, I had to step outside her hospital room and tell the team of doctors because she was at a school of medicine. So they had the cardiology team. They had this team. They had the surgery team. They had them all. And I had to meet with them every single morning when they came in for five hours of doing this every single day saying, do not say one word to my wife about cancer. Not one word. And I had to protect her because I knew that at that moment, if she found out that news, She's completely shut down and her, and her body would give up. We all go on life's journey, right? We all are walking a journey. And some journeys are very short. You mentioned it earlier. The kid that's on Instagram and wants to get a million followers and see other people's like, man, I, wanna, I, I want to race at life to get to that end goal, right? You don't really know how long the journey is going to be. None of us know. We can call it life. We can call it a season but we really don't know. This was probably one of the first times in my life that I began to realize how minutely detailed a journey was. And when my wife, she got home, we're now battling with cancer. You couldn't even mention the C word. I couldn't even mention the word cancer. And I remember this happening. And, and, and I've got to point to this for our listeners, okay? Is I remember my wife laying on the bed and she asked me to go get her a glass of ice water. So I walked up to the kitchen, you know, I was gone maybe a minute, if that much, minute and a half. And I remember as I'm walking back down the hallway, my daughter comes running up and she says, dad, mom is crying. And I walked in the room. I'm like, babe, what is wrong? And she says, I, I feel the spirit of death and I have no hope. She says, I smell the smell of death. That's what she said. I smell the smell of death. And she says, I have no hope. And I immediately, this is where my Marine Corps mentality kicked in. I'm like, nope, you're not thinking like that. 
You've got, look at your children, open your eyes right now and look at your three children. That is your hope. That is, you know, and I didn't realize until right then that this was not a three month, a six month, a five year, 10 year journey. This was a second by second journey. Mm. This was a minute by minute. This was things can change from the moment I said, okay, to getting a glass of water for her to coming back a minute later that her whole entire demeanor could change. And I just, I want to encourage those that are listening out there that deal with depression, that deal with anxiety, that deal with situations that they're in, that they don't, that they feel hopelessness. One, there's a way out. That's number one. Number two, in the midst of you feeling this way, this came to me today. Don't beat yourself up, but build yourself up. Mm. When you're in the midst of a battle, you really can't think clearly. If there's one thing that I can encourage anybody out there that's listening to do, create a small action step. Find a schedule to get on. It doesn't mean you're not going to think about your situation. It doesn't mean you're not going to have time that you're going to feel depressed or discouraged or down or beat up. None of that's going to change at that moment. However, Finding something to focus on separate than those things are going to make you feel accomplished. We've heard it said by probably, I I don't know, thousands of people, but it's all over Facebook about making your bed first thing in the morning, right? (laughs) Right. Because when we get home from the end of the day and all hell has broken loose in our life, the dog got hit by the car, we ran into the mailbox, we get the diagnosis, we get all these different things, COVID hits, Money, we, we lose money. Is you come home and you see that made that made bed and you feel the feeling of accomplishment. I created the goal and I achieved it today. Yeah. And we're faced with this right now, Jeremy. We're faced with it every single day in our lives about the goal setting, the finding the optimal self, right? That's what it's about. How do you find your best version of, of being you? You create it. <laughs> and the way you create yeah. it is by that actionable goal setting, by right. that vision board. This is what I want. For people that are going through depression, for people that are going through postpartum, we can't think goal. We can't think five-year goal. We can't think, right. we can't think one year. No. I was thinking at that moment, this journey of cancer was going to be over the next year to two years. I had no idea it was going to be a minute-by-minute challenge. And so that's when I had to start breaking down all the things that I did throughout the day. It wasn't, what am I going to do tomorrow? Let me think tonight what I need to get on my, my schedule for tomorrow. I did do that. But when things happen, when you don't want to get out of bed, do you really think you're going to go to work and accomplish the goal and record podcasts? No, you're not. You have to worry about one thing, and that's getting out of bed. But I like to even take a step backwards. I don't even worry about getting out of bed. I simply worry about just sitting up. And that's how small I had to make my action steps. Right. How small I had to make them for my family each and every day. First, I want to say thank you for sharing that story because and, and sharing your life with us because it's it it really is incredible where you are today and, and what you've gone through. And I mean, obviously losing your wife. And and just for the listener, so she lost her mom 
three months she was three months old her mom her mom passed the cancer and then she has the baby then goes in for the surgery you lost her i lost her 11 months after she went 11 through months 11 months okay yeah. i mean we fought i mean yeah. she's a fighter <laughs> you no know, she taught me how to fight and you know what you know we never realize jeremy when when we go through things like this especially when you have children right when you go through a divorce when you go through the loss of somebody, when you go through things in life, you don't really know who's watching. And I didn't realize how observant my children were right. throughout all this. Sure. Until my, she was, she, she's 13 now. So she had not quite turned 11 yet. She was two months away from turning 11. Okay. So she was 10 years old. That when my 10 year old posts a message on Instagram about how her mom taught her to fight. And then stood up at the funeral, unscripted, unrehearsed, and pulling all my shirts like that. I want to say something. I'm like, what? It's like, yes, I want to say something. I, I kind of like bypassed it, right? I kind of just like pushed it aside. And then she said it again. And she got up there and she spoke for about three and a half minutes and, and didn't skip a beat. Like she had been alongside Tony Robbins for 20 years of her life. <laughs> Speaking, I've got NFL players in the congregation that came up to me later and said, Joseph says, I've never had anybody put me on their knees crying until your daughter got up to speak. <sighs> and that's when you start to realize this right here. And this is, I had the question after my wife passed away, says, how in the world could you be so uplifting to people? You remember the relationship that I had with my dad? It was, we hated my dad when my, and wished it was my mom that had, uh, when, when she died, wished it was my dad. It's fast forward 14 years, Jeremy. I lost my dad on January the 5th of 2019. He passed away. 22 days later, I lost my wife. Same month. But you know what? My dad died, my best friend. And I remember the night my wife was passing away. She's going through the stages of death, okay? And she's on the last stage. And I remember scrolling through her Facebook, and I ran across a video of a pastor that I knew that was preaching, and he was talking about pain. And he shared this little scripture verse, and he says this right here. He says, it's in Hebrews 4. He says, for we have not a high priest who can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And what that means is this right here. You're doing your podcast because you want to help people. I'm doing my podcast because I want to help people. And at this moment when I heard this, I rewatched this video. I'm like, oh my God, that's my why. And what he went on to explain was this right here. We go through things in life. We go through the pain in life just so we can reach other people. Mm. Jeremy, here's the thing, man. You can't touch what you can't feel. I don't know what it's like to be divorced, brother. Never been through it. I can't sit there and say to somebody that's been divorced, say, I know how you feel. I know they're going through pain. I can relate to that. But you know what? I know what it's like to bury my mom and I, when I wished it was my dad. I know what it's like to build a relationship over the next 14 years for my dad to die, my best friend. For 22 days later, I'm now burying my wife to 45 days later, our baby is fighting for his life, being hospitalized, being life flighted. okay? One thing after another. But yet I had so much peace, Jeremy, because I knew at that moment that my family went through things just so I could help other people, just so I can touch other people. Because I can't touch 
what I cannot feel. And I want to, I want to encourage everybody that's out there that's listening. We're going to go through, we're going to go through crap. We're going to go through hell. But I want to encourage you that no matter what you're going through at this moment, you're not just going through it for you. You're going through it so you can help somebody else. You're going through it to be that living example that no matter what you went through in life, you can make it through. You know, one thing that we're, we're working on in creating is a coaching plan that's going to help people be able to take their trauma and their pain and find their purpose through life. Here's where, and I hope I'm not jumping the gun on anything, but I was going to talk about the, the hotel hallway. Yeah, yeah, I do want to go down that road, but there's something that you said earlier, and I think it encompasses everything that you just explained from the 11 months with your wife going through it, the being able to forgive your father and, and be able to you know heal that. And you said something earlier that I wanted to make sure that the listener heard. And if you could expand on it a little bit, and I'll put it up for everybody who's getting to watch this, is this. You said, vulnerability brings healing. Yeah. Man, when you said it to me, it just, it hit me in very hard. And everything that you just explained kind of brings that. You're, you're so vulnerable and open to this conversation and being able to explain it in detail where, I mean, I, again, I don't know what that's like. I, I, you know, we've had death and you know, our story and, and, but man, like, can you expand a little bit on, on that top on, on that? Cause you said it and you've, you've explained it very well from your perspective, but if we can give something to the listener, but that vulnerability brings healing, how does, how does that work? And how do you see that? You know, when we go through trauma and we go through pain, the first thing that we start to beat ourselves up with is number one, we're the only one going through this and nobody else knows how we feel. And so we victimize ourselves. We put ourselves in a victim box. Because of that, we stay longer than where we're ever supposed to stay. We stay longer in the guilt of, you know, I must have been a bad child because that's why my dad beat me. Or I must have been a very ugly kid or couldn't do something to please a woman, whatever the case is. And that's why I got rejected. Okay. But when we become vulnerable, this is what happens when you start sharing. Why do people go to therapists? It's not so much for us to get advice on what to do. It's someone who will listen to us without one judgment. Judgment, yeah. It brings vulnerability. When we open up and become vulnerable in sharing our story, number one, it brings insight to what's going on in your situation. It brings healing because now we can let out, we can let go. We can say, Jeremy, this is the ball and chain I've been carrying for so long. And will you please take it from me and do something with it? I can't do anything. I don't know what to do anymore. I'm tired of carrying it. I'm tired of carrying the burden and the weight of the shame or the guilt or the resentment, the bitterness, the unforgiveness of all these years. And by sharing, by being open and vulnerable, because I'll tell you this, when my wife was diagnosed with cancer, I felt in my heart right away, I need to share our story. I didn't know about podcasting. I kind of knew about it, but it was, but I didn't really pay attention to it, right? But I knew what Facebook Live videos were. And so I would just go on Facebook Live and I'm like, this is my best way to just keep people that do love us, keep them updated. That, that's all I intended it for it to be. 
But when I begin to do that, people begin to see Joseph for who Joseph really is. They begin to see the emotional one. They begin to see the weak one. They begin to see the strong one. They begin to see the determined one. They begin to see the one that failed at times, the one that was trying to figure out life. What I realized is I'm not the only one going through it. Mm. I'm not the only one going through somebody that's battling cancer. I'm not the only one that has gone through the hurt, the pain, the rejection. What happens when we do that? When we start to become vulnerable, number one, we start our own healing process because we're no longer holding it in and treating ourselves like a victim of I'm the only one that's gone through this. We open ourselves up. I will tell you this, listeners, all day long. The moment you actually take that step out of fear and open up, you're going to realize how many people have gone through the same exact thing that you are, and you're not alone. And that's what I realized. And that right there started to empower me. You want to be empowered? Listeners, you're dealing with the broken relationships, the heartbreak, the guilt, the pain, the shame, you know, the trauma. Start sharing your story. Start sharing it with somebody. Listen, you may not be ready for an audience, and that's okay. Stand in front of the mirror. You, you know what we used to do as kids, Jeremy, when we wanted to talk and have – we wanted to have school, right? So what did we do? We set up all our stuffed animals. <laughs> <laughs> when I first started preaching, I set up stuffed animals. I'm like, man, I don't know, no, no, no. You, you know, I had an audience, you know, just one that didn't talk back, you know, and I loved it. But when we can get to that point of being vulnerable, healing takes place within us. Here's another great thing that takes place is insight on how to help other people. Simon Sinek says this right here. I watched a podcast of him the other day or, or a video of him. And I didn't get the whole entire thing. It was only a little clip of it, but he was talking about rehabbing somebody that's gone through trauma. And he was talking about, or he was talking about alcoholism. He says, you can take an alcoholic through 11 of these steps and skip number 12. And they will still always be an alcoholic because they haven't completed. And he says the 12th step was finding somebody else to help. Because when we do that, we now start really becoming open and our, our mindset shifts off of us and who we are as a victim and now on somebody else and how we can help them. And I am yet in the last two, three years of my life of coaching other people that have gone through trauma, women through broken relationships, through abuse, rape, things like that. I am yet not to have something that came out of my mouth that I'd be like, oh my God, I just said that. I need to take notes. That was profound for me. And Mm -hmm. I said it to you. I said it for your healing. Then I'm like, I like what that guy just said. I can use that myself. (laughs) You know, know, I love that, Joe. It brings accountability as well right? To who we are. Again, we talked a lot about identity today and and where we get attached to things. I mean, you bringing up vulnerability is just absolutely incredible. And I want to put up here again, but people are getting the chance to watch this. If you're not, I'll say it to you. Is you said, hey, you're not alone. And I think in this world, so many of us can dig into ourselves and we sit 
and we think we're the only ones going through it from time to time, or we're the only ones who've ever dealt with it. And not, not just like, we understand that there's other people dealing with it, but sometimes we think there's nobody dealing with it the way I'm dealing with it. Right. And when we actually share it, the beauty of what you just discussed, and I hope the listener heard this is it's not just about you get to talk about it and bring it out and be accountable to it and be responsible for it and, and share and so you get the healing and you also help somebody else. Yes. So again, just know, I hope the listener heard that is, is you're not alone. And it's such a beautiful way. And, and you gave me something earlier that I don't want to leave today, you know, with, without you bringing it up and you called it hell in the hallway in, in the transition of life. I literally wrote it in my journal because I was like, yeah, that's, that's really powerful. So can you tell the listener where this comes from and how you see it in your life and, and how they can use it? So I, I kind of got this. It's very easy, especially in today's day and age, that we can go on social media, we can go on Facebook, and we can see people where they currently are. So let's just take, you know, listeners, you can think of somebody that you know that's, whether it's a professional athlete or a presidential candidate or a motivational speaker that you know is they're, they're at the top of their game. They're making good money. You know, they are the prime of their life when it comes to their career, their marriage is doing you know, all these different things. And we sit there and it's easy to sit there and be like, well, they had it handed to them. I did. It. I've done it multiple times. Okay. I tell the funny story about Tony Robbins, <laughs> you know, and the first time I heard him on social media, I'm like, man, I can't get past that raspy voice. And this dude's just probably really good at getting sponsors on Facebook or sponsored ads. And he probably has about a good year or two years under his belt. Okay. Needless that I know that he's life coached Mikhail Gorbachev and Ronald Reagan and, you know, have flown all over the world to different people. I mean, Mike Tyson and Conor McGregor. I mean, all these different people. But this is how I viewed my transition because this happens to all of us. Imagine yourself in a hotel hallway. Okay. On one side of the hall, you've got 25, 30 doors. And on the other side, you've got 25, 30 doors. And you're standing at the very end of this hallway and you're looking down just this row of doors. Each one of those doors is a transition or maybe an occurrence or something that happens in life. Could be the birth of a child, could be a relationship, could be the death of somebody, could be a promotion, okay? Good and bad things. Imagine yourself walking out of this room, out of your room, and that door shuts behind you. That may have been a season in your life. For me at this particular time, it was now my wife passing away. I went to searching. I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I, I've got to do something. I needed help with the kids. So what I do, I call my older sister. I got to figure out me. I, I don't know what to do. Can you, can you help with the kids? And it's like reaching across the, the hallway and opening that door that's right in front of you your neighbor's door. And that door opens right up immediately. Maybe this is a job that you lost on a Friday or Saturday and you called a friend up and by Tuesday of next week, you had a temporary job. That's a quick transition. But not all the time do we have quick transitions. We find ourselves leaving the door to walk down the hallway, checking this door and checking this door and checking this door and all of them are locked. And we continue to try to transition of maybe... Now that my wife is gone, I can put myself out there and start dating again. But that relationship didn't work or that rejection happened. 
and I'm just going through and I'm trying to feel just like I'm trying to find that empty, that open door. And I'm walking through life and I'm walking through, and this could be over a six month time. This could be over a year time. This could be over, uh, over somebody's lifetime. And we finally get to that door where things begin to open up for us. And we can sit there and be like, you know what? I feel successful now. My business is thriving. I'm now, you know, in a new relationship or my kids are thriving. And everybody looks at us that doesn't know us and be like, oh my goodness, you know, nothing must have happened in his life. But nobody ever talks about the hell in the hallway. Nobody ever talks about the transitions. Nobody ever talks about the, the rejection, the pain, the trauma, the hurt. The more we talk about it, and this kind of goes back to the vulnerability and the healing, the more we talk about it, the more access we have to different areas in our life, as well as different areas in other people's life. By understanding that right there, by understanding that concept, it helped me go from losing my wife and not wanting to do anything with a successful business at that time to now the point that I've grown my business to very low six figures to now hitting seven to watching my two children, my three children, not two, my three children grow up where one doesn't even know his mom. He knows of her, you know, but he doesn't know her. He'll have the conversation with me and I'll say, dad, where's mom? I'm like, buddy, mom's in heaven. Well, can we go see her? Mm. Well, we will one day. <laughs> we got to the point, Jeremy, and this is kind of funny, but it's like he pulled up Google Maps one day. This is a three-year-old. Mm. Pulled up Google Maps and said, dad, where's heaven? How do you answer that question? Right. You know, that's part of the hell in the hallway. That's the unseen things that nobody knows about. That's the battle. That's the, the constant going into a toxic relationship time and time and time again and not finding that exit, not finding that way out. But I'm standing here today, Jeremy, from my transition of going from hating my dad to him dying my best friend to losing my wife to almost losing the baby. He had celiac disease, but nobody knew about it. He was fighting for his life, malnutritioned, wasn't holding down food. They had a life fight him. Spent 45 days in the hospital. And my world is being torn apart. I had no goals. I had nothing set. I forget a vision board. I couldn't see past my toes. I couldn't see past the covers that I was underneath. Mm. But I had to start creating my own opportunities to open a door. I had to create that. Not anybody else. Right. I had to sit there and say, you know what? I'm tired of being in bed. I'm done with it. But you know what, Jeremy? I wasn't ready to go to the kitchen. I wasn't ready for the cup of coffee. I had to just sit up in bed first. You know, for me, my grieving process when my wife was going through cancer, I couldn't cry in front of her. Not that I was a manly man and I couldn't cry. I cried in front of my wife all the time. But I couldn't because I know where it would put her at mentally. When I was in front of my wife, I had to be a very strong individual. When I was in front of my kids, I had to be. But then I would get on social media and I would cry like a baby. I had to take my time to grieve. So if there's some actionable steps that are people that are going through this transition in life, because I'm there, brother. I'm living my best life right now. I'm going to give our listeners some action steps that will help them go from the start of walking out of that door in your life or that door shutting behind you to get through this hell in the hallway. I'm at a point now that 
I've got a successful dog training business. I'm working on franchising. I'm in a very great and healthy relationship right now. My kids are thriving at life. Okay. My podcast is taking off. I, I, I'm, I'm there, but I'm, I still have some journey to go. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? You know, of course, it's a journey. It's not a destination, right? It's, it's, exactly. it's, it is a journey. Life is that. I love it. I love it. This is how I helped myself get through the hell in the hallway. Because at the end of the day, Jeremy, I don't care how many people will tell you that they're there for you. They're there for you when it's convenient for them, not convenient for you. Everybody will buy into an emotional story when it's fresh. But then at some point, that emotional story is no longer their story. It's still yours. Mm -hmm. I just want to add to that. And that's okay. Because <laughs> like that's the part that we say, oh, they're not there when. Well, you, it's because we're our expectation. Yes. And so again, in everything that you've been through, you know, like, yeah, there's people there from time and there's other people grieving. There's other people doing things. They have to still run their life and pay their, you know what I mean? So if people get anything out of that statement and where you come from is that that's well said. They're there for you, again, due to life when they can be. And that's okay, yes. right? That's okay. I mean, it's it's just beautiful. And I mean, hell in the hallway, I hope people heard that, you know, that there is a transition of life. We always have it. That door closes behind you. And then I go to the next door and it's locked. And the next one's locked. And the next one barely opens. And the next one, like, that's what happens. And just know it's okay. It's the transition of life. But if you keep going, if you keep stepping, if you keep breathing, if you keep moving, you're going to find it, right? Again, you're not alone. You brought that up and then you brought the vulnerability brings healing. So be vulnerable and understand and talk to people because your story is going to help people just like yours is now. And I want to hit this part before we transition out of here. And I call it quick hitters, okay? I just have two words and I'm going to give you them individually. And I just want the first thing that comes to mind, okay? And, and, and these fit who you are today, man, like a, like a glove. So the quick hitters are today. The first one is discipline. And how does that affect you? And what is, how does that hit you today? Yeah, that's, that's, that's good, Jeremy. You know, when we start putting our mindset towards things, you know, we get, it was easy to quit because of the way I learn things in life, right? But I've learned that whatever that I want Regardless of what, it, if I want to hit seven figures, if I want to get up in the morning, if I want to make coffee or be on a bodybuilding stage or whatever the case may be, even raising my children, if I don't practice what I preach and have the discipline to do those things, you'll never achieve anything. Mm -hmm. You have to be disciplined in whatever that you say. What you say has to do with integrity, right? Keeping your word is integrity. But Getting down to the nitty gritty and saying, you know what, I'm going to set my alarm for 6 a.m. or 7 or 9 or whatever the case is. And instead of hitting snooze 10 times, because we've all done it, I'm going to make an actionable step. See, discipline is an action step. It's not just a word. It's not just, I, it, it's not something that just happens. It's something that you have to tangibly create. If not, you will never accomplish what you are trying to set out to accomplish. That's what discipline means to me. Yeah, man. Discipline being not a word, but an action step. Perfect. Yeah. All right. 
I hope this too. (laughs) Yeah, I love this, man. Number two is impact. How do you want to leave it? How do what is your impact? What do you want to leave on this world? The first of every year, we always make this challenge to ourselves, right? I'm gonna hit the gym. I'm making this new challenge. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna set a goal and get it to the gym and lose weight and 30 days later we're out of it, right? When we create that moment where we're going to impact others, it's not just a momentary challenge. It creates a journey within our own selves. A journey of I get to meet Jeremy today and I may only get to meet him once. What am I going to do? What am I going to give Jeremy that makes Jeremy remember me for the rest of his life? I don't care if you forget my name. My name's not important. It's what I leave you with that is important. Mm. When I can give you a substance that changes your life, that takes you from point A to point B, that's impacting. That's just that goes beyond influence. That goes beyond motivation. We get motivated every day to do something. And the emotions spike, the dopamine levels spike in our minds. And then the next day we wake up and it's gone. <laughs> you know, if you're really, really lucky and you just went to a Tony Robbins event, it lasts for five days after. You know, I love Tony Robbins, guys. That's why I mentioned a lot. Okay. All right. There, fill in the blank with, with, with whoever that you listen to. That's motivation. People don't need to be motivated. They don't. They need to be impacted because impact is what changes people because then you've given them something tangible, the discipline, okay, to say, you know what? I can do this. And Jeremy, this is something I want to leave with the the listeners today before we transition out of here. I believe there's four things that I want to impact you guys with right now to help you out of your transition in life. Number one, you have to come to the realization of self-forgiveness. That's number one. You have to forgive yourself. It doesn't matter if you feel like if it's your fault or wasn't your fault. Forgive yourself. Number two is take time to grieve. And what I mean by that is I took 15 minutes a day to grieve, Jeremy. Now, to begin with, it wasn't 15 minutes out of a 24-hour period. It was 15 minutes, and then I would kind of gather myself for five, and then I'd be down 15 minutes again. By setting that goal, on a time to grieve did not consume my whole entire day of grieving that put me into states of depression or anything else that would keep me down. It allowed me to transition from this is going to be my moment of grieving. Now I have to flip to my moment of being strong and I need to get this done. Number three is finding somebody to help. In the midst of that, we talked about it earlier When you can find somebody to help, it helps within yourself to open up and share your story. It allows healing to take part in you and allows you to be able to reach other people, okay? And so that's self-forgiveness, taking time to grieve, vulnerability or the self, helping others. others, And the last one, okay? And the thing is, is, I don't put these steps in words because it's different for every person. But this is the part that's extremely important. Set your goals, dreams, and visions. Don't overdo it. Don't overcomplicate it. Two years ago, I wasn't worried about making seven figures in a business. I didn't care to be in my business. I had to make the small action steps just to get out of bed. 
And when I got, when I sat or sat up in bed, when I sat up in bed, then it became, I'm going to get out of bed. Then it came, I'm going to go to the other room and I'm going to sit on the couch. Then it became, I'm going to make a cup of coffee. You know what? Now I'm just going to get in the car. You know what? I'm going to drive around town. I created those small little action steps all while forgiving myself. Okay. Setting the goals, taking the time to grieve and trying to find somebody to help. Well said, brother. Joseph, I cannot thank you enough, man. This conversation has just been super impactful, man. Again, I've I've been fortunate, the listener understands, to to spend time with you living in the same house for a week and and doing masterminds. But man, this conversation just even even took it that one step further, man. So thank you so much for joining us. If the listener wants to get in touch or if if they're going through something, how can they reach you? What's the best handles? The best way to reach out to me on Instagram. It's meet Joseph James. It's my full name. So meet Joseph James. I'm on Instagram. I do all my social media. So I will, I will message somebody. I'll, I'll get back with them in in no time. My email is the same exact thing, but they can reach out to me on, on Instagram. Meet Joseph James. Awesome. We'll make sure that that's obviously in the, in all the show notes. Let's put it up there, man. I, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate who you are. I appreciate your vulnerability and you sharing your story with us. The man that you are is remarkable and I'm honored to call you a friend. And I just want to, again, thank you so much for, for coming on. I look forward to many, many more conversations, buddy. Yes, Jeremy. Jeremy, thank you so much. And you don't realize how much you've helped me just in this last week with our conversations, becoming a better version of myself, because guess what, brother? The best is yet to come. Yeah. You got it, man. The best is yet to come. Thank you guys. Thanks for joining us again. Leave comments. Let us know, man. This is going to be everywhere. YouTube, iTunes, wherever you find us, please leave us comments. Let us know and tell Joseph what a kick-ass human he is, man. So cheers, guys. Subscribe to Optimal Self wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. For more information on how to be the best version of you, visit OptimalSelf.today and follow at OptimalSelf1 on Facebook, at Optimal underscore Self on Instagram, and subscribe to Optimal Self on YouTube. Thank you for listening.